At this time, I invite you to uh, kneel with me, as I said a few moments ago. Uh, if you can, kneel with me and let's have a, a word of prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we thank you so very much for this beautiful Sabbath day. We thank you that you created a day uh, to spend, especially to spend time with us. Uh, you made a holy day, a day that is sacred. Uh, and uh, uh, it is the sign that you are the God that sanctifies us, that makes us holy. We appreciate that you loved us so much you made a day uh, specifically for that purpose. A day for us to rest from our labor as you rested from yours. A day that we can come together and, and worship you in spirit and in truth and sing praises to your name and to rejoice uh, in salvation. We thank you so much, Lord, uh, for all the things that you provide for us. We thank you for uh, our homes, our families, uh, the church, the saints, Lord, that help us in encouraging us. We thank you most of all for Jesus and for his love and, and taking our place and dying our death that we deserve uh, and being a gift to us for all eternity and becoming uh, a human being uh, that will exist uh, for all eternity and be like us. Be called our elder brother and uh, we thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing and that you did give up your son uh, so that we may have um, a seat at the table as, as a member of the family again. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for your love and care for each one of us. Uh, we pray for uh, those who couldn't be with us this morning, those who are ill. We think of Jerry. We pray that you be very near to her. Uh, we think of uh, uh, acquaintance of uh, our friend Jean and Randy and his family who had a friend who took his life. And it's a tragic thing. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be very near to them. Uh, send angels, Lord, to guard their hearts and uh, uh, to uh, come to know you better. And may good come out of these tragedies uh, such as, as they are. Uh, Lord, I praise you for uh, keeping us safe, uh, for always being there for us. I, I thank you for being with Jerome and Andrea as they committed themselves to each other and vowed to each other to be husband and wife last week and, and did so vowing to you, uh, Lord. I pray that you will be very near to Jerome as he is the priest of his household. And uh, may he be a good father to his children and a good husband to his wife. And uh, may uh, you abide in his home and he be a witness to those around him. Um, I thank you for the, our, Pal Talk Church, our Pal Talk Church and those who join us uh, each week. I pray that you will bless them tremendously and may they be a, a shining light to uh, their neighbors and their, their, their mission field where they are. Um, I pray, Lord, that you'll be very near to our dear friend Susan who, um, uh, not unlike myself, has uh, back issues and, and joint issues and has to see uh, a chiropractor for treatment. I pray that you would be near her and heal her. Uh, Lord, I, I understand the pain. I, I deal with it every day as well. And uh, I pray that you'll be very near to her. It's difficult to do any work, missionary work uh, included, uh, witnessing work, uh, when in such incredible pain and discomfort. I pray that you'll uh, heal both of us you know, to do your service. Um, and Lord, uh, I pray especially that you be with me and give me the words to speak. This is a very important subject, one that uh, needs time, and uh, I pray that those hearing these words uh, will go to you in your word and study to show themselves approved, and uh, to have a right understanding of who Jesus is, uh, therefore who his body of believers are, who his church is. Give me the words to speak to the flock. Lord, touch my lips with a coal from the altar. May they be your words. And may they be seasoned with the Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name.
as we get closer and closer to the final battle, the Bible calls Armageddon, uh, it becomes more and more important to know Jesus and to know His organization, uh, the church. Um, if it weren't important, I would say this, if it weren't important, the Bible wouldn't spend so much time describing the attributes of Christ, which will be reflected in His followers, uh, which is His church. And uh, so um, it is very important for us uh, to understand these things. You know, Satan presents himself, doesn't he, as an angel from God, thus a member of his church. That's what he presents himself as. And it behooves us, beloved, to know the characteristics of Jesus, which will define for us the true body of believers, the body of Christ. There is tremendous efforts, my friends, uh, being put forth to confuse what is such a simple truth in defining God's church because let me tell you how important this is. Being in the wrong one will cost us our life. It is of eternal importance to understand it. And because of such efforts, I'll tell you this, because of such efforts by the enemy of souls and those who are sincerely seeking the truth about Christ and looking for His body of believers, as well as reinforcing the principles of truth, I'm going to be spending the next few Sabbaths uh, uh, presenting a series of studies defining God's church uh, and I've entitled this series, This Is My Body. And I'll tell you right now that the devil doesn't want anyone to know this truth. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't want anybody to know any of the, the gospel, any of, the, any of what we find in the Bible. But he doesn't want you to know this truth specifically. For he wants each of us to be members of his church. And He will use those closest to us to confuse and, and discourage us in our quest for God's will. And it is a quest to know and understand what God says about His church. And He has promised those, see friends, to lead us into all truth. So while others will attempt to uh, persuade us from our course... <laughs> Uh, let's seek what the Word has to say above all vain philosophy. Amen? Let's claim the promise of God that He will lead us into the truth. Now, I have entitled this particular study, In My Name. In My Name. At one time, a long time ago, there was, a, there was perfect peace and harmony in heaven. All, you know, and by the way, the Sabbath, we can get a taste of that on the Sabbath day if we allow God to abide with us in our hearts, in our homes, wherever we may be. We can get a taste of that perfect peace and harmony because it only comes from God anyway. But there was at one time, a long time ago, perfect peace. There was harmony in all creation. All creation was in unity with their Creator. They loved God and they served God because of that love. Hence heaven was one complete body of believers with God as the head. And that is His church. His government. It is His church. Each was a part of God and He was a part of them. Each had the name of God. Much like families of today who share a name. But there is more significance, beloved, in having the name of God. You know, all was perfect and wonderful. And friends, God has promised that one day it will be like that again. Do we long for that day? Do you wish for such a thing as that? 
Do you want to be a part of the family of God and, and partake of such a wonderful place? It's amazing to me that the vast majority of humanity has and will refuse to belong to such a perfect and loving family. It's amazing to me. And let me encourage those who live in this world, who have experienced terrible things, let's say at the hand of a family member, or who are orphaned, or who have what is called a dysfunctional family. I want to tell you that God cares deeply for you. And He invites you to be a part of His family right now. He holds out His arms and says to you, come home. Just come home. You know, you may not have much of a home life here. But God has a perfect home and a perfect family that welcomes you. Please accept His invitation to be called by His name. He will forgive. He will forget your sins. He will seat you at His table. He will care for you and give you an inheritance. Just come home, my friends. Come home to God where happiness and peace dwells. And like I said, not all want to be, sad to say, really is sad to say, not all want to be a part of God's family. There was one being that became dissatisfied and no longer wished to be a part of, the, of God's family, to be a part of the body of uh, believers. And this being wanted to be independent of the body. And uh, we know and understand this was due to selfishness. A concept unheard of and never experienced in creation before. It was altogether new in heaven and thus caused disunity. It caused separation. And that is what sin does. In Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2, it tells us, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. It's not that God doesn't want to hear. It's that sin causes separation. Sin causes disunity. Sin causes conflict. And Lucifer was sinning and encouraging others to sin with him. We read about it in Ezekiel 28. We're familiar with these. These verses. Verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. He wasn't created a sinner, friends. It was found in him. He was created perfect. But then iniquity was found in him. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Lucifer said that he no longer wished to have God's name and be a part of the church. He declared that the church of God was against freedom and liberty. That God was a legalist and selfishly wanted to control those who dwelt in His kingdom. Lucifer painted a picture, you see, that his way was the only way to independence and freedom and true peace and happiness. That his way led to the true church that God's church was a false church. And the result of this so-called freedom and independence movement was war. Isn't that something? Revelation chapter 12, 
Verse 7, and there was war in heaven. You know, when I read that, I'm just amazed. It's a, it's a mystery. The mystery of iniquity, the Bible says. It's a mystery. War in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Praise God for that. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And friends, look around. We see the result of Satan's church. And it won't get any better. As I said, with sin comes conflict. With sin comes war and separation, whether in the spiritual realm or in the physical. Satan wanted his own church, and he was successful. So the subject of whom and what is the church is an exceedingly important subject to understand. You don't want to be deceived and think that you are in God's church when in reality you are in Babylon, which is Satan's church. I'll tell you this, friends. The most wonderful privilege any human being can have is to belong to God's church, to belong to God's family. It's wonderful. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 8, he says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Paul tells us that there was a mystery hidden in the mind of God which no created beings understood. But Paul says, now this mystery is going to be made known. That's what he's saying here. Now it's going to be made known. How is it going to be made known? Through His church. So if you belong to the church, God is going to reveal something through you to the beings all over the universe. There is a mystery that they have wanted to know for a long time. They're going to find it out through the church. They're going to find it out through you. And what is it that they will learn? Well, friends, they will learn the gospel of Christ through each of us. Those who live their life in His name and thus are members of His body, the church. And this is what I want you to ponder as we study this identifying mark of the true church of God. Defining the church of God. It has everything to do with Christ and everything to do with the gospel for they are both one and the same. The good news is Christ, is it not? It was Passover and Jesus had made preparations for His disciples to celebrate with Him before His death. All was in order, and they were celebrating the feast as they had done before, but then Jesus did something different. We find it in Matthew 26. And in verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. They never 
really understood those words before. At the time, they really didn't understand them either. But Jesus gave a symbol of what His body was. And there is a deeper truth to what Jesus was saying um, than many realize. This is my body, Jesus said. This is my church, Jesus said. And just as Jesus has only one body, there is only one church. Now as we go through this series, we'll, you know, I'll spend some more time on that, defining that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says this. He says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I'm sorry, but Billy Graham is wrong. I'm sorry, but Joel Osteen is wrong. There are not many ways to get to heaven. There is one. And it's through Jesus Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. First Timothy 3 and verse 15 speaks about the church of the living God when it says, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That's very important to understand. That is a foundational principle in defining the church of God. The church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. Jesus said, this is my body. This is the pillar and ground of the truth. My body, my church, is the pillar and ground of the truth because I live in them and they live in me because they eat the bread. You understand? And by the way, the body will remain His church as long as it takes and eats His truth, thus remaining in Him. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. No one can be a member of the body of Christ unless they take and they eat the truth, thus becoming a part of the truth, which is Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not just talking about a mental assent. You know, knowing the truth. That's not eating the truth. That's reading the truth. No one can be a member of the body of Christ unless they take and they eat the truth. Because when you eat it, you see, when you eat something, you're assimilating it into your body, aren't you? When you eat the truth, you become a part of the truth. And that truth is Christ. In Ephesians 5.23, Paul said, Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body. Jesus is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body and I want to take a much closer look at this for it will help us, friends, in identifying the true body of Christ, the church of God. Jesus is the head. He's the Savior of the body. And I want to present an aspect of Jesus, something about His very nature that is everything to the true believer. And I want to emphasize that. It is everything to those who believe. It is everything that is required in reuniting sinners to God from whom they have become alienated by sin. 
And when you are reunited with God, you become a part of his body and a member of the church. Now, the part of the church on earth may not be organized, or it may be organized. Don't get confused here. Next week I'll get more into to that detail, okay? It may be organized, it may not be organized. Or you may not have your name on the books of it if it is, but by being united with God makes you a member of the family regardless. You understand what I'm saying? And like I said, more about that in later studies. I'll deal with that a little bit more next week. So please, um, I encourage you, take lots of notes. As Pastor Brooks always said, check out what I'm saying. Check me out. Go to the Word of God. Study it for yourself. Take notes of what I'm saying here, friends. And study this out. I don't wish you to be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. Now remember, Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body. And we want to identify His body, right? We want to define the church. Not my definition of who the church is, but God's definition of who the church is. And God has a definition. We want to identify the body. In order to do this, we must be able to recognize the true Christ from all the false ones. Isn't that true? Isn't that an accurate statement? Like I said, I want to share with you an aspect of Jesus, something about His very nature that is everything to a true believer. I want to share this with you. It's from Selected Messages, Volume 1. Page 244, for you who are taking notes. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 244. The humanity of the Son of God is everything to us. Let that sink in. The humanity of the Son of God is everything to us. It is the golden chain that binds our souls to Christ and through Christ to God. This is to be our study. Did you get that? This is to be our study. Christ was a real man. He gave proof of His humility in becoming a man. Yet He was God in the flesh. When we approach this subject, we would do well to heed the words spoken by Christ to Moses at the burning bush. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. We should come to this study with the humility of a learner, with a contrite heart. And the study of the incarnation of Christ is a fruitful field which will repay the searcher who digs deep for hidden truth. Friends, this is the admonition given by our Lord to His people that we need to study this subject. And we need to study it in depth and consider that we are on holy ground. And I truly believe, friends, that this, this subject is at the very core of identifying the church of God. Defining the church of God. It's at the very core. In Matthew 16, in verse 6, we read that Jesus was on a journey with His disciples and, and He was speaking to them along the way, telling them to, you know, to beware of the uh, leaven of the scribes and the uh, Pharisees. He was warning his disciples against the false doctrine uh, promoted by these apostate uh, spiritual leaders. And by the way, this warning still applies to us today, does it not? But if uh, you go to Matthew 16, you go on down to verse 13. Verse 
we read when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And friends, let me tell you something. Before it's all said and done, you're going to come face to face with that question yourself. And you're going to have to give an answer. This is something we need to understand, isn't it? Who do we say Jesus is? So Jesus asks him, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And then he says specifically to them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is that your answer, friends? I want you to notice in these words here that Jesus was emphasizing His humanity. And remember, we read the humanity of the Son of God is everything to us. Jesus was emphasizing His humanity. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Jesus then brought the question a little closer to home. Uh, for the disciples, because he was trying to separate their thinking, remember, from the leaven of the, the uh, Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, which he had warned them against earlier. He had warned them against that leavening. And he asked them, But whom say ye that I am? And beloved, I'll tell you, that if we can answer that question correctly, <laughs> according to Scripture, it'll help us to identify his body. It will define God's church. Now think about what Peter was saying. Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Think about what he was saying. I mean, Peter knew, friends, without a shadow of doubt that Jesus was a man. Didn't he? He knew he was a man. He knew where his home was. He knew his mother, Mary. He saw the perspiration trickle down his forehead under the hot sun. He saw the dust settle on his body. He saw him get weary. He saw him get hungry. He saw him get thirsty. Peter knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was a man. But Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter recognized that in the man, that was questioning him, there was divinity. This man was not just from the earth. He was heaven come down to men. Now, beloved, this truth that Peter had just uttered was the very truth that the Jewish nation, the descendants of Abraham, right? The professed church of God, right? This was the very truth that they absolutely refused to accept, particularly the Jewish leaders. We read in John 10, verse 33, about the instance where they wanted to stone Jesus because of Him ascribing to Himself kinship you see, to the Heavenly Father. And Jesus asked them, For what good work do you stone me? <laughs> and the Jews said, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, they recognized him as a man. They recognized his humanity. But they said, You being a man, makest thyself God. And friends, that is a truth that they would not accept that Jesus was a union of their humanity with the divinity of God. And it was on this very point of truth that those 
same leaders condemned Jesus to die on the day of his trial before Pilate. In John 19, verse 7, it says the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. And beloved, this truth that Jesus accepted fallen humanity took upon himself the seed of Abraham, that he is a union of our humanity and the Godhead divinity is the truth against which Satan manifests his special hatred. Remember that there was war in heaven between the church of Satan and the church of God. By the way, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus said, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Let me ask you a question. It is Satan that wars against Christ, right? If Christ is the truth, then it is Satan that wars against the truth, right? So if I stand upon the truth and proclaim the truth, Satan will war against me, right? Jesus said in John 15, 20, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. If I stand, beloved, upon Bible truth, and not just me, if anybody stands upon Bible truth and declares this Bible truth and, and the church that you belong to wars against you, what does that say about the church you belong to? Consider that as we go along in our study here, in our series. Remember, beloved, you've heard me say this before, there are only two spirits in this conflict. Only two sides, that of Christ and that of Satan. So it behooves us greatly to study this out so there can be no confusion as to who is the true church of God. It is in opposition to the truth that Christ became like fallen humanity that Satan raised up Babylon in which a man not united to truth thus not united to divinity sits in the temple of God and attempts to show the world and himself that he is God. Remember, the humanity of Christ is everything to us. The nature of Jesus is everything to us. We have to understand it. Or we may be following a false Christ that will lead us into a, the false church and not the church of God. Satan's counterfeit of the truth concerning the nature of Christ, according to the Bible, is Antichrist. It is because the truth of the nature of Christ is the foundation of the believer's faith, the very foundation of salvation from sin that Satan has declared war on this truth and all who hold this teaching. Let's go back to Matthew 16. Remember, he'd asked the disciples who people had said he was. And then he asked them, Peter, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at verse 6, uh, let's go to Matthew 16, look at verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, that's Peter, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. 
And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What is Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus is laying the foundation for the church of Rome, isn't he? Isn't that the story we get from Rome? Isn't that what Babylon tells us? Why are we listening to Babylon, friends? Jesus says to Peter, Thou art Petros. In the Greek, that means a small stone. It is a stone that can be overturned pretty easily. Then Jesus says of himself, and upon this Petra, which means upon this rock, this immovable, this unshakable rock of truth that Peter has just uttered, that Jesus was both human like us and divine like his Father, a union of divinity with humanity, he says, upon this I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Jesus plainly declared that anyone having this truth has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, beloved, right here, what we've just read is the foundation of the true church. The corrupt understanding of what we have just read is the foundation of all false religion because it is on these very texts that the so-called apostolic succession is established by which an erring man claims to have received the keys of Peter. Let me share some inspiration with you here from the book Desire of Ages. Page 412. The truth which Peter had confessed is the foundation of the believer's faith. It is that which Christ himself has declared to be eternal life. It is the foundation, friends. Jesus is the mysterious. You know, Paul talks about the, the mystery of godliness. And not too long ago I talked about that and, and, and uh, we studied that. I shared that in a message. About this mystery. God becoming man. But Jesus is the mysterious combining of our fallen humanity and God's divinity. And it is He who is the firstborn of... Essentially, you could look at it as a totally new line of beings or a return to that from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Here's another, another one I wish to share. It's from 1888 Materials, page 332. That's the Ellen White's 1888 Materials, page 332. Christ could have done nothing during His earthly ministry in saving falling, fallen man if the divine had not been blended with the human. Take that in. Christ could have done nothing during His earthly ministry in saving us, she's saying, if the divine had not been blended with the human. The limited capacity of man cannot define this wonderful mystery, the blending of the two natures, the divine and the human. It can never be explained. Man is privileged to be a partaker of the divine nature because of what Jesus, friends, did for us. We have that privilege. She says, and in this way he can to some degree enter into the mystery. Divinity took the nature of humanity. And for what purpose? That through the righteousness of Christ, humanity might partake of the divine nature. Powerful statement. 
Here's one more. Signs of the Times, March 8, 1899, for those taking notes, and I hope you are. Signs of the Times, March 8, 1899. Quote, When he came to the world the first time, divinity and humanity were blended. This is our only hope. The Son of Man is fully qualified to be the originator of a humanity that will blend with divinity by partaking of the divine nature. And so, friends, although He existed with His Father from all eternity, it was part of the divine plan that Jesus would be born. <laughs> he was not created. He was born just like we are. Psalms 2 verse 7 says, This day have I begotten thee. And you can read more about it in Hebrews 1. And, you know, we're going to go to Hebrews here in a few moments. But Now when we think of that, the incarnation, I mean, we know that Jesus' earthly uh, progenitor was the Holy Spirit. And we know that His Human mother was Mary. We know those things. In his talk with Nicodemus who came to him by night, Jesus set out the requirements that were necessary for a man or for a woman to enter the kingdom of heaven, to be a member of the church of God. He said there in John 3, in particularly verse 5, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And just as He came into this world with the Holy Spirit as His progenitor, so too can lost and fallen human beings who come to Him in faith through the Holy Spirit be born again, see, and become a union of humanity with divinity. And as Peter says, by partaking of the promises God has given, we become a partaker of the divine nature. You see, because when you partake of those promises, you're eating the bread, which is His body. <laughs> we can become sons and daughters of the living God. Where Jesus is in no wise ashamed to call us brethren. That is an incredible thought. Scripture tells us that when a man or a woman is born again, that they become a new creature. So Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, a new creature. Behold, all things are become new. And in 1 John 5 verse 4, it tells us that whosoever is thus born of God overcometh the world. And isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the good news that we can be saved from sinning? That our sins are forgiven because of what Christ has done. And we can have the power that Christ has through that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not the sin again. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. It is a firm foundational truth that Jesus is our divine human Savior. Having accepted our fallen nature so as to reach us where we are, He is able to re reunite us, friends. He's that ladder, remember, between earth and heaven. He can reunite us with the throne of the Father in heaven. We can become a member of His body, His church, because of His merits and power to save from sin. And that's the gospel of salvation. And upon that gospel, His church is founded. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and I'm going to move along here quickly now, friends. So please take notes. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 29. We read, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, 
for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, friends, the context of this is on becoming a member of the family of God. It is not on roles within the church. As some like to use to ordain that which is unordainable. Verse 29, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's what the context is, friends. But it is Christ that is the foundation of the church. And when we have been baptized in the Christ, when we take His name, we become a member of His body. Therefore, we are the seed of Abraham. Hebrews 2, verse 16 to 18. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. Jesus took on him the seed of Abraham, the fallen nature of humanity, so that he could defeat sin in the flesh and help all of us that are tempted to do likewise. So with a nature like ours, Jesus lived a life of righteousness, never sinning once. Friends, not in thought, not in deed, not in word. And he is our example Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 21 to 24, he says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. We are, beloved, to live as Christ lived. In his name we are to live unto righteousness, as he did. In his name, we are to overcome sin as he did. In his name, we live eternal or will as he does. The only way that, that, that this is possible is if we eat his bread, which is his body. Which is the truth. Ellen White wrote in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 949, she said, Those who keep God's commandments, those who live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, compose the church of the living God. You see, friends, it's really, it's easy to say that we love God with our lips, isn't it? That's really easy. But if we do not keep His commandments, and if we teach that it is impossible to keep His commandments, then we have just nullified the Bible definition of love. In 1 John 5, verses 1 to 3, we read, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. And friends, like I explained last week, that law in the ark is to be placed in our hearts. <laughs> That's the character traits of God and God is love. When we hold a teaching which teaches that Jesus came with a nature different to ours, 
which implies that he did not in our fallen humanity overcome sins. It apply, implies that we in our fallen humanity cannot overcome sin and will sin until Jesus comes. And if that be true, friends, then we cannot then claim to be the people of God. We cannot claim to be God's church. We cannot claim to be those who love God and keep His commandments. Our scripture reading for today was Matthew 18, 20. It says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. What does it mean to be gathered together in Jesus' name. What does that mean? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we read, And thou shalt call His name Jesus. By the way, that's a name that means Jehovah saves. And thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people in their sins. Is that what the Bible says? That's not what the Bible says. That's not what His name means. It says, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins. Beloved, we can gather together in Jesus' name and be saved from our sins. But let me ask you, can we gather together in Jesus' name if we gather together believing we're going to be saved in our sins? So to gather together in Jesus' name is to come believing in Him to do what His name says, namely to save men and women from their sins. Furthermore, to gather together in Jesus' name is also to believe that He is fully God. Because another reference that we have in Scripture to Jesus' name is found in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. <laughs> to gather together in his name, as Jesus meant it, is to believe that He took our flesh and became human as we are in our fallen condition. Because the Scriptures say, For unto us a child is born. Not unto Adam before the fall, but unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Not loaned. The Son of God became the Son of Man. And that is how He reaches you and me where we are. That is how. Praise our Father in Heaven. To come together in Jesus' name means to believe this beautiful, foundational truth about Jesus and His mission as expressed in His divinely appointed name. Anyone not coming together with the simple faith in Jesus to save them from sin, but wanting to be saved in sin, will not find Him in their midst. They will find a false Christ in a false church. In fact, beloved, those who come together in Jesus' name believing that He did overcome sin in a body like ours will have the name of Jesus in their foreheads. For they will have the character of Jesus. They will be overcomers, saved from sin by faith in Him. That's what we read about in Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. And you can read the rest. That means, he, in the original language, it implies the Father's character and the Son's character written in our minds. Gathering together in His name means that they have Jesus in their hearts and their mind and in their forehead. His character traits will be seen in His followers as they do His work and live His life in the same type of fallen body that He had when He was here. 
This is why they are described in Revelation 14.12 as they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now the quotation from Upward Look, page 315, supplies the final and absolutely definitive statement on God's church. It says, Where Christ is, even among the humble few, this is Christ's church. It's where Christ is. Beloved, principle, Bible-based principle is always the dividing line. It always is between truth and error. We have to make sure that when we come together, we come together in His name. That we, by His grace and His mercy and His love, can have Him in our midst. Because the very next statement says it all. From Upward Look 3.15, it says, For the presence of the High and Holy One who inhabiteth eternity can alone constitute a church. Well, if the presence of Jesus can alone constitute a church, then we better be very sure that we are following the right Jesus if we wish to be in the right church. Amen? We better be sure that we're coming together in Jesus' name and not the name of a false Jesus. Go back to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is it in the world. Now, friends, let me share something with you. The word flesh there doesn't mean that he came as a human being. It means more than that. It's the Greek word sarx. It is a very interesting word because it occurs many times in the New Testament. On almost every other occasion, it's translated as sinful flesh. And let me tell you, the moment that you have that understanding of that text, everything falls into place. Because every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in our fallen humanity is the spirit of Antichrist. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in our humanity, that He adopted our humanity, that He took on Himself the seed of Abraham, not the seed of Adam per se, the seed of Abraham, and was made in all points like unto His brethren, that is the Spirit of God. Immediately it all becomes clear as to who the true Christ is and who the Antichrist is, thus who the church is and is not. The definition of Antichrist cuts sharper, friends, than any two-edged sword. Much broader, much wider, much deeper than just the papacy. Because it speaks about the spirit of Antichrist. And we know that Antichrist sits in the throne of the dragon having his seat or authority and power. But the spirit of Antichrist is abroad in the world and it is constantly set to deceive. 2 John verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Once again, that word sarks, which denotes fallen humanity, sinful flesh, is used here by John. Beloved, does the Lord do anything in harmony with Satan? No. How then is it that men and women can believe that they can harbor the teachings of Antichrist and still expect the Lord to be in their midst? Remember, the presence of Christ alone can constitute a church. Therefore, if we are to work in harmony with Him, we cannot use or employ any of the methods or any of the deceptions of the Antichrist and expect the Lord to be in our midst. Any church that declares that Jesus Christ did not come in our fallen humanity is not the church of the true God because they have the spirit of Antichrist. Friends, there are many churches that declare to be the true body of Christ, the remnant church. There are many that claim to, to have the name of Jesus and claim to do things in His name, but their character tells a different story. 
always reminds me of Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, In that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Well, we know in prophecy that a woman represents church. But we can see, friends, that the churches of the world, they eat their own bread. They don't eat the bread of Christ. The churches of the world, they wear their own apparel, their own righteousness, and not the robe of righteousness that Christ has provided. The churches of the world call themselves the body of Christ. They take the name of Christ, but they're not living in His name. They are Antichrist. So friends, by His grace, let us determine every day that we will have our feet planted firmly on that doctrine of truth which He established as the rock upon which He would build His church. The church against which the gates of hell will not prevail. Namely, that He came to this earth accepting our human nature and in the flesh condemned sin that He might be able to help us that's you and me who are also tempted to sin. That He will help us overcome. We must ever remember that the presence of Christ can alone constitute a church. And we have to remain closely united to Jesus, the head of the body, and those who love God and keep His commandments. Not the vast majority who say they love God and teach that you cannot keep His commandments. Let's remain closely united to Jesus. In closing, John 6, verse 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is the God of the living friends, not the dead. Jesus is the living bread. Jesus said, This is my body, and all who call upon His name and eat this bread, overcoming sin, just as He did, will be a part of His body, will be a member of the church of God. If you're in a church that teaches otherwise, let me put it this way, if you're in an organization that teaches otherwise, you are not in the true church of God. And I'll tell you, this is the biggest of all the identifying marks of the church of God. And we'll look at more the next time we get together, friends. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for your love towards us. We're such sinners. As the psalmist says, your mercy endureth forever. We pray that you will forgive us, Lord. We thank you so much for Jesus, who is the head of the church. We thank you so much that he has given us his body, that we may be members of the church, that we may be members of the family again. Lord, please forgive us. We claim the blood that Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And we pray for grace. We pray for discernment. We ask for the Holy Spirit to be alive in our hearts and minds. Lord, as we study the word of God, as we eat the bread of truth, we trust that the Spirit will lead us into all truth, that we will be a body. And Lord, help, help us to be organized to finish the work. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for your love and care, for your blessings, and for answering this prayer as we ask it humbly, Lord, in Jesus' name.